0: Welcome back. I was looking at the calendar the other day and cannot believe how close to General Conference we are. And as I think about General Conference, I kind of get a little giddy. Those of you who know me personally and know me well know that I am a General Authority super fan and that I absolutely love General Conference. Now, one of the things I've learned is that people love General Conference for different reasons. If you were to ask my kids, they would say that they love it because it's Pajama Church. They literally would wear the same pajamas for a solid 48 hours plus if I didn't require that there was a shower somewhere in there. They also love it and and I love it because there's always good food and really good snacks. And I like the spring conference because it's usually close to Easter. This year, general conference is falling on Palm Sunday, but it means that we're going to have some fantastic Easter snacks, whether it be those great chocolates. My personal favorites are the one that come in the blue bag and they are blue and pink and yellow, hard shell and the chocolate. Oh, man, I actually hid two bags of those last year from my children. But absolutely love all the things about Conference As I was thinking about that and getting giddy about the foods and the snacks and the activities and the fact that I can wear my pajamas, I began to really contemplate the question What is the purpose of general conference? Why would we suspend going to our buildings and take two days, roughly 10 hours if you watch all of the sessions, and block that out twice a year? As I thought about that, The very first thing that came to my mind was the idea that it's an opportunity to provide us with what Christ would have us know today. One of the key purposes of general conferences is to ensure that you and I have what it is that the Savior needs us to know, like in real time, right now, today. I was talking with one of my older brothers recently, and he reminded me of a saying that my dad would often use. I can't even count how many times that my dad used a saying, but one of the things that he would talk to us about when we were having family home evening during halftime of the Monday night football is he would say, the test of each generation is how well they follow the counsel of the living prophet. The test of each generation is how well we can follow the living prophet. So why do some people get like a boatload of things out of general conference and others can watch general conference and go, yeah, that was great, but it, I, I don't know that anything really applied to me. Have you had those kinds of conversations where you've walked out of a, a conference session and some people are like, yeah, that was the best meeting ever. And others are like, yeah, what, what ofs? <laughs> that's two hours of my life. I'm not going to get back. So I began thinking about that, and I think it really applies to where we're at this week in Come Follow Me, because we have the opportunity to dig really deep into parables. In Matthew chapter 13, there are at least seven parables that appear in this singular chapter, and that's a whole lot of things to try to unpack, right? In Matthew chapter 13, we find our first parable in verses three through nine, which is the parable of the sower. Now, what I love about this parable is in the same chapter, the Savior gives us an explanation of the symbolism inside of the parable. Because if you remember, a parable is something that is taught in a comparison to something else, right? Like an object lesson or a comparison. So here in Matthew 13, our second parable is found in verses 24 through 30, and then an explanation given to us in verses 37 through 43, which is the parable of the wheat and tares. I absolutely love this parable, but I think it's because I grew up around wheat farms. Wheat and tares mean something a little bit different if you have that kind of background. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, we find the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. In verse 33, he teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Verse uh, 44 of that same chapter, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Matthew 13, 45 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. And we finish it off with Matthew 13, verses 47 through 50. The kingdom of heaven is like a net. So here he is in these verses teaching in parables. And I love that in the middle of all of this, the disciples come to him with a fantastic question. He's just finished with his first real solid parable, the parable of the sower, which I'm confident will be covered in a Sunday school lesson or a family home evening near you. So, in this parable of the sower, verse number 10, the disciples say this, verse 10, and the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now, I love the question, right? Because they're just straight up like, Why are you talking in a parable? Why don't you just tell them straight up what it is that you want want to say? So, you got to love how the Savior responds in verses 11 and 12. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Verse 12, Joseph Smith translation. For whosoever receiveth, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever continueth not to receive, from him shall be taken away even that which he hath. I love his explanation. Verse 11. To you, it's given to know the mysteries, but to everybody that's listening, maybe not. Because why? Well, for whosoever receiveth, you're going to get more. And if you choose not to receive, not only will he stop giving it to you, but I love this. It's like you start to forget. Now, think about that. You may have people that you know and love that have left the church. And have you ever heard them start to talk about things going on in the church as though they remember and they know? And as you're listening to them, you're like, It is totally not how it is. I have had those conversations. I don't know what you're remembering from sacrament meeting, but the last time I went to sacrament meeting, which was Sunday, this is how it went down, right? It's that idea also of where much is given, much is required. And as we gain more knowledge, we also gain with that more accountability. And so I love the Savior's teaching in parables because of verse 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables because they seeing, see not. In hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. So what that does is it actually changes the accountability level for the listener. Because if I understand what he's saying, guess what? I'm accountable. I am accountable to what it is that he's teaching. If I don't understand what he's saying, then I've missed part of what is going on in the parable. So let's back that up. Why does he teach in parables? Well, we've learned he teaches because to those who have made covenants with them, it's given for them to know the kingdom, uh, the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Also, so that those who are understanding are able to receive more, but also 13, so those that are seeing and hearing that don't understand, guess what? They don't understand, so they're not going to be held accountable to it. Now you got to also love what he says in verse number 14. In verse 14 he says, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which saith, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand and seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. Or in other words he's saying, part of the reason I'm teaching in parables is because I also need to fulfill prophecy. The savior in all that he does is fulfilling prophecy. Then in verse number 15, he teaches us. We're going to sit on this one for a minute. Verse 15 For the people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Now he gives a very interesting description here. He says that for this people's heart is waxed gross. Now, when I think of something gross, what I actually think of is like, ooh, that's sick, right? So again, I had to turn to my friend Google, do a little bit of digging and a little bit of research. And for something to be waxed gross actually means to be calloused, hard, or dense. So their heart is waxed gross. Their heart is. Calloused, hard, or dense? I'm going to stop there for a second and ask a question of self-reflection. And the question simply is, so what kind of heart do you have? I don't think that it is in any way ironic that the Savior teaches the parable of the sower. Remember that the parable of the sower is about the different types of ground, that a sower came and he's casting seeds and some were by the wayside and some were on stony ground and some were in good soil. And then he turns around and says, for this people's heart is wax gross. He's telling you what kind of soil that the people there had. It was calloused, hard, and dense. Ever tried to dig into that kind of dirt? Calloused dirt, hard dirt, dense dirt. One of the things I love about fields being prepared Planting is that the dirt becomes fluffy and light. It's so, fl- it's almost like pillowish that you just kind of want to just drop into this fluffy, light dirt. It's fantastic. And I know you, those of you that haven't been on a farm to see that happen, are probably going, What else? But I'm telling you, it's this awesome, fluffy, light, amazing. Dirt, as it's being prepared, there is nothing dense, hard, or calloused about it. It's amazing what happens to it, as it's being prepared for the seeds to go in and being planted in. Next thing, he says, what? And their ears are dull of hearing. Now, again, when I think dull, I think of two things. Either one, that, like that is a really dull teacher, boring, that or dull as in like my pencil doesn't write very well because it's so dull. And looking again, Webster's my friend, lacking interest or excitement or slow to understand. So their ears are dull of hearing. They're not excited. They're not interested. And let's be honest, we've all sat in that church meeting where we had zero interest and we either down on our phone, texting somebody, telling them how boring it was, right? I remember saying to my seminary students all the time, um, when they'd go to text something, I'd say, you know what? I know I am really great, but I don't think I've said anything right now that you need to text your friends about. Like, I'm confident none of you are like, whoa, Shoop is ripping it up in seminary today. I just got to tell you what she said. Yeah, no, huh? No, nope. no. Nope. The reason you're on your phone is because you are dull of hearing. You are lacking interest or excitement or choosing to be slow to understand what's taking place around you. And then clearly the next one is pretty straightforward, right? Because he says that their eyes, they have closed. And then I love that he says, less at any time they should see. Now, eyes that they have closed turns it into that idea of seeing, right? So are we seeing, but not really? Are we hearing things, but not because we're dull? Are our hearts calloused? I had the opportunity to go to the eye doctor recently it was a very much needed appointment, probably like, I don't know, maybe it was 60 so days ago. There was a really bad snowstorm and I was driving and it, driving in snow often feels like you're like at hyper speed, right? Like it's coming at you. And as I was driving in the snow, I realized I couldn't see very well. So I was really glad that one of my passengers was a licensed driver and I would not drive home because I could not see Clearly, where it was that I needed to be, well, I noticed after that evening that I couldn't like see clearly at my computer. I wear contact lenses I have since I was twelve, and I was finding that I needed my reading glasses almost all the time, no matter what I was doing, and I couldn't figure out like what had happened to cause my eyesight to deteriorate so quickly. Well, I went into the eye doctor, and in the process of going to the eye doctor. And having contacts, I have to have my exam basically twice. I have it once with my contact lenses in, and then he has me take out my contact lenses, and I have the exam a second time. Well, it starts with the, you know, cover your left eye and read the signs down, uh, you know, clear down. And I joked with my kids, I've memorized the signs, like, here are your answers. It's E, you know, V, T, O, B. Anyway, so I do that. I cover my left eye, and I go to read with my right eye. And I am not kidding you. I couldn't read a single line that was on the wall down there. And so he flipped the slides. He's like, how about this? And I could only read the very biggest one. And I was like, well, no wonder I couldn't drive in the snow. No wonder I'm wearing my glasses. Make it all the way through that first exam. I take out my contacts. We make it through the second exam. And the eye doctor goes and does something really interesting with contact lenses. Mine are hard. So they're made out of really rigid plastic. He goes and he does what's called read them. And he reads them to make sure that they're not warped, to make sure that they're writing on my eyes correctly. So he went and he read my contacts and he came back in and he said, okay, Candice, put these back in and we're just going to sit here for a minute. As we're sitting there for a minute, he then hands me back the cover for my left eye and he says, cover your left eye and read that. And I am not kidding you. I looked down there and I could read every single line. And I turned and I said, what did you do to this while you were out there reading it? And he smiled and he said, I didn't do anything. You just had your contacts in the wrong eye. I'd literally been wearing my contacts in the wrong eye for like two months, at least, at least two months, trying to like see. And we had a really good laugh. And then what I love about my eye doctor is that he also is currently serving in the stake presidency. And we began to have a conversation about faith and about trials of faith. And he said, you know, Candace, sometimes trials of faith are a little bit like you and your contact lenses. We we create our own problems. And I laughed and I said, so my prescription is the same. He saw, oh yeah. Yep. Your prescription, your contacts are great. It's you that had the issue. Well, as we discussed that a little bit further, he said, you know, one of the things that I really struggle with as a member of the state presidency, and I said, what's that? And he said, When people come to me with a trial of faith and I ask the following questions and the answer is no. When they come to me with a trial of faith and I say, are you praying regularly? And they say no. When they're having a trial of faith and I ask them, are you immersing yourself in the Book of Mormon daily? And they say no. And when they're having a trial of faith and I ask them if they are looking to the brethren. I thought a lot about my conversation with him and how it applies here to what the Savior is saying because it's very easy to get caught in seeking knowledge in the wrong places. I love what Elder Eddie in October conference said. He said, quote, "We will come to discern that as helpful as other sources may be in our study of the Savior and the words of his prophets." They must never become the replacement for them. We must drink deeply and often directly from the source. Close quote. We will come to discern as helpful as other sources may be in our study of the Savior and the words of his prophets. They must never become the replacement. Why? Because when we individually drink from the words of the Savior, via the scriptures, via the counsel of the living prophet, we begin to strengthen a muscle that all of us need to strengthen more, and that is our testimony. Our individual testimonies of Jesus Christ are essential. We cannot and should not be living on borrowed light. So here you have the Savior saying, I teach in parables so that the right people hear it and the wrong people, the people who aren't prepared, don't have to be accountable and gain that knowledge. But all of it is so that we come to know him better and what it is that he would have us do. So really, why is a testimony of Christ and his teaching so important? Well, I immediately thought of Revelation chapter 12. Now. I'm confident most of you aren't like, yep, I, to- I totally thought of that. In fact, I love the book of Revelation. A lot of people like the book of Revelation, but a lot of us don't really know what's going on in the book of Revelation. It's just is like, it's like some cool stuff, but I don't know what it means. Well, I love that Joseph Smith knew that about us. And in praying and asking about the book of Revelation specifically, he received some translations. And my favorite Revelation translation is Joseph Smith's translation of Revelation chapter 12. And in chapter 12, we get some amazing things that happen. He basically teaches us real quickly about our pre-earth life and really it encapsules the plan of salvation. Let me show you what I mean. So we're in Revelation, Joseph Smith translation. So if you've got like an actual physical copy of the Bible, it's like page 803. I bet you guys didn't think I was actually using a paper copy of the Bible, but I am. So it's on page 803, and this is what it says. And there appeared a great sign in heaven in the likeness of the things on the earth. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Okay, we could really pick this apart, but the woman is the church, 12 stars, 12 apostles. And the woman being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and his throne. Christ is who rules the church. Verse 4, And there appeared another sign in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. I have to admit, every time I read that, I think, I am the great stone dragon. Anyway, There appeared another sign in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew, and the third part of the stars of heaven did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was delivered already to devour her child after it was born. Okay, you got all that, right? That the dragon is Satan and he, with his tail, he draws a third part of the stars of heaven. Remember, we talked about the third host of heavens a couple weeks ago about how they, you know, I am legion, right? And they were, and they got cast into the swine. I mean, that verse four, it's got a lot going on. Verse five, and the woman fled into the wilderness. Oh yeah. Dark ages and apostasy. For she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred and threescore years. And there was a war in heaven. Here we go. Pre-earth. There's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought against Michael. I love this. And the dragon prevailed not against Michael, neither the child nor the woman, which was the church of God who had been delivered of her pains and brought forth the kingdom of our God and his Christ. Neither was there place found in heaven for the great dragon who was cast out, that old serpent, called the devil, and also called Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. How many people are going to be deceived by Satan? Whole world. Guess what? Sometimes I get deceived. I'm confident you've been deceived recently. We all eventually, in some form or shape, are deceived by Satan. Because why? Well, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, this is where it gets really good. Verse nine. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Here we go. For they have overcome him, meaning the great dragon, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their own lives, but kept the testimony even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell with them. So why is a testimony so important? Well, guess what? There were two things that helped the righteous win the war in heaven. The atonement of Christ and their individual testimonies. Did you know that? The war in heaven was won via the atonement of Christ and the individual testimonies. So if you want Satan out of your life, what do you have to do? You got to exercise your testimony. You have to figure out how to exercise your testimony. You want to win in the game of life? Exercise your testimony. You've already used it to win before. That's what got you here. You simply have to use it again. But what happens is we get caught up in things, thinking that we can hide things and it's not really going to matter. You got to love this savior in Luke chapter eight. Again, in the middle of these parables in Luke chapter eight, verses 16 and 17, he says, I love these verses. Verse 16, no man, when he hath lighted a candle, cover it with a vessel and put it under a bed, but set it on a candlestick that they which enter in may see the light. Right? Sounds a little bit like Matthew 5, verse 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. For nothing is secret. So I want you to think about that big, deep, dark secret that you have, that you are really glad that nobody else knows. Now I want you to think about what that scripture just said. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest. So the quickest way to get rid of that and not have it be manifest, you got to exercise your testimony. You got to believe Christ and repent. Doctrine and Covenant section one puts it this way, and the rebellious shall be pierced with much sorrow for their iniquities shall be spoken upon the housetops and their secret acts shall be revealed. When I think about that, I like the picture that comes into my mind is this massive stadium. I recently had the opportunity to drive past the Raiders stadium in Vegas and it sits there next to the freeway. And that thing is massive. I don't even know how many thousands, tens of thousands that can be seated inside of there. And as I think about this, like rebellious Pierce, because it's going to be spoken from the rooftops, I kind of think of it as we're all gathered into like this massive stadium and there's the savior down on the 50 yard line. And he's all, we'd like to now announce all of the people who have not repented of swearing. And, you know, my name's like totally going to be on that list. Right. Uh, Candace Shoup. Uh, and then, he named, you know, names everybody else. We now like to those people who thought that they had hid adultery. And then he like begins, we'd like to call you down to the 50 yard line. And instead of everybody cheering, everybody's going to be like, oh, man. Oh man! Do not say my, do not say my name, do not say. My name. It's the exact opposite, right? Of being there when you're like, say my name, say my name. No, mm-mm. this is the one where you're like, do not. I do not want to be a son. Elder Stevenson in in the most recent October conference put it this way: Your testimony in Jesus Christ isn't just what you say; it's who you are. Your testimony in Jesus Christ isn't just what you say. It's who you are. So why was the Savior teaching in parables? So that you and I could actually exercise our testimonies to come to know him better. So with that said, before general conference, will you go and do a couple of things? First, will you go and read Elder Stevenson's talk entitled Nourishing and Bearing Your Testimony and Identify the Prophetic Promise? that's there and then act on it. I promise that as you read Elder Stevenson's talk, nourishing and bearing your testimony, you will be able to identify things that need to happen in your life to better exercise. So that seeing you'll actually see and hearing, you'll actually be able to hear. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm going to give you a hint about that prophetic promise Will you go and share your testimony of the Savior and how he has impacted you via come follow me or through something that you've learned in general conference? You're going to have an opportunity to have a testimony meeting. And if your ward is anything like mine, sometimes there's a lag. Sometimes it's the same people. Culturally, we joke sometimes about how we could play fast and testimony bingo. There's going to be the person that says this and the person that says this and and I'm confident in every word there's two or three people that yeah, This person's always going to bear their testimony. Well, Why don't you surprise everybody in this next testimony meeting Have that different variable be you? Will you go and share your testimony of the Savior and how he has impacted your life via either come follow me or something that you learned in conference? Third, will you prepare for conference by praying for ears to hear and eyes to see what you need? And then come with a notebook to write your impressions. So there's three things. Read Elder Stevenson's talk. Share your testimony. And then prepare for conference by praying for ears to hear and eyes to see what you need. And come with a a notebook prepared to write impressions. And then actually do your best to keep your eyes open. Because you can't study Lehi's dream and learn from President Nelson at the same time. So once you've done those things, will you share? I can promise you that if you do these three things, you will feel an increase of the Savior's love and come to know him better and see something that maybe you haven't seen before. That's the amazing things about the parables, is that we can see or we can hear if our hearts are not gross, our ears aren't dull, and if our eyes are open. Keep your eyes open. There's something amazing to see. Have a great week. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Go and Do. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review. If you didn't, it's all good. Please come and follow along with us on Instagram at Go and Do Podcast. Go and Do is written and hosted by me, Candace Shue, and produced by Cammie Fisher. Thanks for being here. And until we talk again, have a good time. Don't be a good time. See you soon.